the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Southern California Live Show. I am Pastor Scott Furrow of the First Baptist Church of San Diego and the Cultivating Ethos Show right on K-Praise in San Diego every day at 1130. You can find that program at radiochurch.org. It is great to be with you today. I am honored to be with you here in the Southland and I have grown up in Southern California. I grew up in Palmdale. You know, Palmdale, I like to say, is a good place to be from. And it's kind of a little joke, but it is a great place to be from. And it's great to still be here in Southern California. I have spent half my life in the Los Angeles area and the other half my life in the San Diego area. So I know Southern California. I've been all around it. I know you. And uh, I love it here, even with all of our our problems. I mean, maybe my biggest gripe in general is that uh, we tax businesses so much we can't get a lousy Waffle House in this state. I mean, wouldn't it be great if we could have a Waffle House, if you even know what I'm talking about? Anyway, this is a great place to be, and it's even better to be here with you as believers in Christ, ambassadors of Christ in a period of time of chaos, a period of time where nobody knows what direction to look. I think people have a sense, I do believe that people have a sense that we need to somehow be penitent. We just don't know as a culture anymore what direction to be penitent toward. But we do, and Jesus calls us salt and light, so we get to do that. Hey, if you want to be a part of our program here, the number is 888-52-TALKS. That's 888-52-TALKS, 888-528-2557. I would love to hear from you, and in this hour... I would just love to hear how you're doing if you've got those things on your mind. What I'm going to do is I'm going to share a few things with you this hour that I want to be challenging. I want to challenge especially believers. I know a lot of you listening aren't believers, and you're listening because you're in a carpool right now with somebody who won't change the station, or you're in the cubicle next to somebody who's got the radio on too loud. We're still glad that you're here, or you're listening because you are aware also that something needs to be different and you're looking for hope you're looking for truth in an age where everything is is chaotic this is the place to be um i'm pastor scott furrow you can find me also on facebook right now i'm on facebook live i'm not sure that you can hear the call-ins if we get them on there but you can welcome and say hi hi everybody and uh, just look at facebook look at uh, scott furrow f-u-r-r-o-w on facebook or you can also follow me on twitter scott furrow and facebook it's facebook.com slash scott furrow I was on Twitter a little while ago. You know, Twitter is, um, I'm not really sure that there's anything holy about it. However, Twitter is amazing when it comes to breaking news. And if you know how Twitter works, there's a little bit of a learning curve. But with everything going on in Afghanistan and around the world, you know, you find out right away because you've got live video from people on the ground right there in Afghanistan. And it's pretty incredible. Well, Kerry Newhoff on Twitter a few minutes ago, he tweeted this. He said, we live in an age where people hold passionate opinions about something they know almost nothing about. Many people are three questions away from their worldview collapsing. Let me ask you this question, seriously, from wherever you're at. How many questions does it take somebody to sort of destroy your way of looking at the world? Do you know why you look at the world the way you do? 
how much trust and hope are you putting into the political system or politicians or your pastor or even your your church organization without developing yourself being on a mission together with other believers who are on a mission? How many churches are in Southern California? How many do you think? A thousand, two thousand? It's a trick question because actually there's one. There's only one church in Southern California. And if you are a believer in Jesus, if Jesus is in your heart, you've confessed him as Lord, you've made him your savior, you have received grace from him, you're part of that church. The church isn't a building or an address or a denomination or a ministry organization. The church is you and me. And we are here on a mission. If I can do anything these next three days that I'm here, I want to help you and give you some tools to be on that mission. I've thought a lot about it. I thought I get three days. What does God want me to do where me and you are going to have a conversation and what can I pass on? And I like to have fun. We're going to tell some jokes and maybe do some fun stuff. It's kind of hard because of what's going on in the news. I, you know, there's some things going on that just, they're just not, it's just not a funny time. And we got to be sensitive about that. There's some things that are pretty hopeless. And I think there's some bad things on the horizon. You know, I think that we are just beginning to see some breakdown that's going to get uh, worse. And I, I, I hate to throw that happy news on you, but I'm going to give you some joy and some way out of it here in this segment. Um, I thought about this earlier today. I thought, you know, a year ago, we started to think about how bad 2020 was going to be. And especially when we got into the fall and here in California, we had shutdowns. Uh, some of you are listening, you know, online in different parts of the country that uh, you don't know what I'm talking about. Like my mother, who used to, who lives in Arizona, who used to invite me to come out there all the time last year, she would say, you need to come visit us. We live in a free state. And that's pretty funny. So here's the thing. I thought about this. I thought we were so looking forward to 2021. Do you remember this last fall? I was in Tustin and I saw this car dealership and I, this was the be, end of October, maybe the beginning of November. And they had all their holiday lights up, but the holiday lights all said Happy New Year. They, they just blew right past Thanksgiving and Christmas. There was nothing about those holidays. It was just Happy New Year. They were done. A couple of months earlier, they were done, and I got it. I thought that was pretty funny. I thought, you know what? These people are, these people are, are right, and I was right on there. Do you remember how great it was to, to get into 2021, and we thought that, oh, good, 2020 is behind us. Let me ask you this. How are you feeling about 2021 now? I'm now wondering, are we going to go into 2022 with some kind of trepidation about it? You know, I think it's going to be a different feel. Well, the thing is for us as believers is that our joy is not controlled by the calendar or the news cycle or the different things that go on in our life. We have an actual answer, and I'm stating this bluntly. We have an answer. His name is Jesus, and I don't mean to say some trite thing about Jesus. I mean, we have the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. We have a message of hope for the world, a resolution for all of the world's problems. How do we deal with this? How do we offer hope? When we're looking at the news, it can look pretty hopeless. You know, what on earth do I do about that? Well, at the end of this hour, I hope to give you some idea of what you actually can do, practically speaking. And I'd love to hear your input on that. What are some things that we can do, practically speaking, in our own relational world, in our own place where we live, our place of influence, our place where we actually can make an impact? What can we, we do? I think we can do a lot. And we need to pray, 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 and we need to gear up. And I'm telling you, this is an opportunity, this period of time, to do what the church does best. And when the church is at its best, it is when we are ambassadors of Christ, 
when we are telling people about Jesus, when we're pushing away all the different clutter, all the things that we get in the way, where does it start? Well, here's a place where it starts. I want to share this with you. You have influence. Do you know this? Do you think of yourself as an influential person? Well, you are an influential person. Like No matter what, you actually have influence. If you decide not to bathe for a couple of days and you get on a bus with somebody, they're going to change seats. That's how it works. You have influence no matter what. And the people that you have influence over are the people in your relational world. The place where you start is those people. How are those people feeling? I was talking with uh, a couple of different chaplains this week because of what's happening in Afghanistan and saying, you know, what can we really do here? And one said, he said this about PTSD. He said, you know, we really don't even talk about that anymore. And at best, we talk about moral injury. And the military will call it a moral injury, the injuries that a lot of our soldiers have. And you've heard some of this this week, and you're getting those stories. It's an interesting thing because sometimes for those of us who are civilians, when we see people come back from the wars, if they've got all their limbs, we think they're okay. Uh, But so often they're not. And they are struggling with mental illness. They're struggling with all kinds of different things. It's called a moral injury. And I think it's the right term. The, the right term is moral injury because they have witnessed things that human beings are not supposed to witness. They have witnessed things that we are not supposed to be a part of. And this chaplain said something interesting to me. He kind of changed the subject. And he said, you know what I think you need to deal with is this, that right now our entire country is suffering a moral injury with what we've seen on TV in particular this week. Do you feel that way? I feel that way. I feel, you know, just so much heartache and so much frustration over what we're watching in Afghanistan in particular, and not to mention the other things going on in the news that are, that are really big deals. The thing is about moral injury is that it's the right term, but they don't offer the best solution because the solution is to give your heart to Jesus and to really let Jesus deal with you. But you can't do that in, in a governmental organization. You have to do it in the church, and we have that answer. One of the things that we want to keep in mind is this. We have a worldview that actually matters. I want to share with you something that will help you look at things correctly and give you an idea of how to really keep things right, of how to keep your chin up, how to have hope, and how to have mission every single day. And we get this from Scripture. And when you get this idea, you begin to realize, oh, you know what? I do have a mission. And uh, I'd love to get your response uh, throughout this hour as I talk about this. The number is 888-52-TALKS or 888-528-2557. You can also leave me a uh, message at facebook.com slash Scott Furrow, where you can watch this live and put your comment in there, and I may use them on the air. You know, Jesus gives a sermon to his disciples, the Sermon on the Mount, we call it. And people debate whether it's the 12 or it's the multitudes and, and they were just listening in or whatever. But Jesus considered everybody following him at that point to be his disciples is one of the ways he looked at it. And they were the specific 12, of course. But whatever the case may be, this sermon is delivered to those people who are following Jesus, his disciples. And, uh, and by the way, what are his disciples supposed to be doing today? Making disciples, okay, and teaching them these things. That's you and me. And he talks about salt and light. Matthew five thirteen and 14. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. 
Christian, do you see yourself this way as salt and light? I mean, really, do you see yourself as salt and light? Like right now in this crisis, whichever crisis you want to label, we have so many of them. Do you see yourself as salt and light? It doesn't say become salt. It doesn't say go take a Sunday school class and uh, figure out how you can be salty. Uh, It does say that you can lose what you've been given. Uh, It doesn't say become light. It says that you already are, and it's going to describe what that means in the next part. Do you really believe that? I wonder. I wonder how how many of us actually have this confidence in the Lord. Maybe how many of them really had it at that point, right? The first thing you need to know is that this is how Jesus sees his followers, as the salt and light of the earth. Jesus sees that in you. And when I say you, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you who might be listening at work or listening at home or listening in your car right now or listening on the podcast later on. He's talking to you. Jesus sees that in you. See, what's happening in the world is that the kingdom of God is coming. See, the seminary idea is that the kingdom of God is both here and now, and you can get into this sort of conversation on this. But there's a perspective that the Christian is to have. The kingdom of God is coming. And when you have this worldview, one of the first things you should think about is that God is not looking down at us and confused at what's going on. He's not looking down and saying, now, why in the world did Biden pull the troops out like that? He's not saying, where did this coronavirus come from? I can't believe that this is ravaging the world so much. He's not confused by it at all. All of it is the kingdom of God coming. There's a warning in here that we can lose that perspective, that the salt loses its saltiness. There's an idea here that it can become worthless. It can be no longer something that seasons, no longer something that preserves, no longer something that has societal or spiritual function. And we see elsewhere in the scriptures about Christians who have lost their first love, Christians who are going through the activities of the faith, but they actually don't know Christ. I mean, that is so often where we see that. The idea of losing saltiness is to become foolish, to waste what has been given, and to become useless. Jesus says some very sobering things, by the way. When you study Jesus Christ, he really gets into your kitchen, doesn't he? He really gets in there, and he does it with love, and he does it with gentleness and just purity of speech. Let me ask you this question. How is the church doing in America, North America, Western countries? There's lots of great things happening and lots of hope, but look at it from 30,000 feet for a minute. Here's some statistics. Every day in the United States, 10 churches are closing. 10. This was before COVID, by the way. I think that number is going to be a lot higher. Every day, the study says, 10, 10 churches close. Most of those churches don't know they're in trouble when they close. COVID comes along and wipes them out, or something else happens and they just can't do it. One leader likes to say, one Christian leader likes to say, time in erodes awareness of, meaning we get into our own rhythms and church and family life, and we don't realize that the culture around us has shifted And churches do this big time. Studies say that uh, many of the older denominations that have been around a couple hundred years, that their number is going to be zero people in just a few years. That's an incredible thing. Uh, By 2040, actually, a lot of groups say that. Did you know that? In 2018, there were 340,000 churches in the United States. Studies say that by 2050, that number will have dropped by 176,000. 3,700 churches close every year. 4,000 churches, though, are started every year. That sounds like a net gain of 300, but there are two problems. One is that 300 churches a year is not enough to keep up with population growth. 
And secondly, secondly, of those 4,000 that are started every year, about 80% of them won't make it more than a couple of years. It's a massive drop in churches coupled with significant population growth. Why is this happening? Here's why. It's because our country is becoming secular. Our worldview is changing. And it's because churches then become inwardly focused, worried about our existence as nonprofit corporations, but not worried about the mission as much. And we don't become outward focused. Churches tend to quickly move to a place where they are designed for the enjoyment of church people and not for the ministry of the gospel to their community and neighbors. And then it's not the church anymore, is it? See, the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, that was not given to the unchurched. Jesus never challenged the world to come into our buildings and get churched. He never told us to gather together and wait for the world to come to us either. We need to be out there. Now, I've got some more encouraging statistics. You probably keep hearing all these studies that say fewer and fewer people identify as Christian now in the United States. And worse, fewer and fewer are going to church, especially young people. Only 33% of young people consider themselves Christian today, and that number is falling rapidly. All right, I think that's people like under 40, if you want to define what young people is. Um, I don't know if I qualify anymore. I turned 600 months. I'm 600 months old, if you want to figure that out, just a couple weeks ago. 80% of our youth will not stay in the church after high school. 80, 8-0. But here's something that you should know. According to the University of Chicago General Social Survey, this is really the best research on these things. All these different groups that put out these numbers, this is where they get them, the General Social Survey. You can look it up if you want to. It's through the University of Chicago. Today has actually the highest level of church attendance for young adults in church since 1972. That's what it says. See, our doom and gloom is a little bit misplaced, all right? What's happening is the death of kind of the World War II church model system. Um, it's especially true in, uh, you know, for a lot of us in our, in our U.S. churches. But what's actually happening and what's becoming clearer in our culture is what a Christian is and what a Christian is not. Today, 65% identify as Christian. That's down from 85% in 1990 in the United States. But let me ask you this for real. Is it really 65%? Well, of course, that's not true. 65% of Americans are, are not devout Christians, right? They, they're checking a box. But what's happening is not that fewer people are devout Christians. What's actually happening is the nominal Christian is dying out. The person who feels compelled through social pressure that I better pick Christianity as my religion, they no longer feel that pressure. They feel like it's okay for me to say I have no religion. They call that group of people the religious nuns. I mean, that sounds very Catholic, but it's not. It's N-O-N-E, nuns. That has changed. For a huge part of that group, they used to call themselves Christian, but it doesn't impact their life. And now what they're saying is that they don't need to call themselves Christians anymore because they aren't, and they feel okay about that. That's what the studies are actually saying. But here's the good news. People who are devout is not shifting. And young people who are believers are actually as devout as ever. And they are vigilant in their scriptures. They want biblical churches. They are reading their Bibles in very large numbers. So be encouraged. And older generations, the good news is this. They might be nominally Christian. You might have a lot of those people around you. But, you know, your older generations probably did go to church at some point. They heard the gospel and they just missed the point. But because they have stopped pretending, and those people in your life who have just stopped pretending that they're a Christian and they're calling it deconstruction or they're calling it something, they can be more easily reached because they aren't afraid of being outed as a nonbeliever anymore. And they have more freedom socially to ask questions about their faith. I shared the gospel with an old woman several years ago. She was in her 80s, and she had been to church her entire life. 
okay, her whole life. She had been to 80-something Easter services in her life. It was incredible. She asked me in her 80s, Who's, who is Jesus? And I said, how can you have been to all these Easter messages and church your whole life and ask me that now? And she was getting to the end of her life, and she said, hey, you know what? Uh, I just don't know. I've just never understood the gospel at all. And I got to lead her to Christ in her 80s, a person who'd been sitting in church her entire life. So what do we do about it? We return to who Jesus says we are, salt and light, and we be that person. When we get back from the break, I'm going to share with you how a way to give light to everyone in the house and to shed some light on that subject. And I'm going to take a couple of your calls. I definitely want to hear what you have to say about this, and I want to point you in a different direction. The number is 888. Well, I don't want to point you in a different direction than what you think. Maybe maybe I do, but maybe we're going to agree, and we're going to really like your input. 888-528-2557. 888-528-2557. That's 888-52-TALKS. And uh, you can call in. I'd love to have you be part of the program. I'm Pastor Scott Furrow. You're listening to Southern California Live, and we will be back here in just a few moments. Stay tuned. All right, everybody, welcome back to Southern California Live. I'm Pastor Scott Furrow. It's great to be with you. You can reach out to me on social media anywhere. Just look for Scott Furrow, Scott, F-U-R-R-O-W, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'd love to connect with you that way. You can also watch me right now live. I'm waving to some of you watching on uh, Facebook Live. I don't think you'll hear the phone calls on there, but you'll hear everything else uh, at this minute. The phone number here, if you want to be a part of the show, is 888-52-TALKS and 888-528-2557. We've been talking about the shifts that are going on in our country, and the big picture that I'm getting at is what do we do about all the crazy stuff that we're seeing on the news and the fact that the church has been changing and moving away from its mission? How do we get back on the mission? So I'm talking about that. I'm going to go to a phone call right now. We have Tom in Oceanside, and uh, Tom, welcome to the Southern California Live program. Hello. Hi, Tom. You there? This is Scott. Oh, Scott. Hey, sorry about that. <laughs> Great Hi, how you doing, Tom? Okay. Welcome to the program. Yes, this is Tom at Oceanside. Hey, just really enjoying your remarks today on uh, this whole issue of salt and light. And it yeah. really got me, uh, got me thinking about Facebook and social media. So, anyway, by the way, I also really enjoyed the discussion about the moral um, injury earlier. Uh, a lot of military folks in my neighborhood. But just about social media, I think people are so isolated today that reaching people for Christ on Facebook and other social media is more impactful than it's ever been before. But at the same time, you know, what I've observed with Christians is just that um, put, so many of us are putting politics first and Christianity second especially in social media. I mean, I've been really guilty of that myself because I have some strong political opinions, and we're all so quick to put somebody in a box, so he's a conservative and she's a liberal, you know, not ever getting to know people. So I do think issues of public policy are really important, but I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on how we navigate this. All right, Tom, thank you for your call. And how do we navigate these changes? Yeah, you know, I'm going to talk about this a little bit on, on Monday. We have a guest on. His name is Peter Greer, who wrote a book called Mission Drift. And the whole idea is how did we get 
off course. And it happens all the time. It happens to churches. It happens to organizations. It happens to even us as individuals. And then how do we recorrect? And you talked about social media. Social media is incredibly powerful, but it is in many ways giving us an unrealistic look at the world. And I think for some of us, even when it comes to sharing our faith, sometimes we think by just posting little things like bumper sticker things or having a a good hashtag on Twitter that we're accomplishing something, but really we're doing something that's not relational. I like to say that there are zero people who have ever been convinced of anything uh, to change their political point of view or their religious point of view because of your Facebook post. Zero people. There are many people, on the other hand, who have become more convinced of their point of view because of our Facebook posts that often aren't very nice or our Twitter posts and different things like that. So what do we do? How do we get on top of it? What I want to talk about is this, is that we need to be missional in an everyday life, in every aspect of it, including on social media. I mean, that's where a lot of people are today. We have to look at that as a a place to be missional and not just a place to spout off or even just to show pictures. Is that The interesting thing about Facebook is that in one sense, it's very unrelational because you have 5,000 friends and you think you have a bunch of friends, but really you don't have any, any personal friends and we've lost that. But on the other hand, it can actually be incredibly relational, especially when you're interacting with people. In fact, I read a statistic, a sad one that said that the word Facebook shows up now in one out of every three divorce petitions. Okay, so it's a, it's a very powerful thing that will draw the wrong kind of relationship and it will take you away from the relationships that you need. So speaking of that, who are the relationships that you have in your life and why are they there? That's what I want to get to. So Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, we give light to everyone in the house. And in chapter 5, verse 15, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. This is after he's said that we are salt and light. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See, it begins by believing in Jesus. Your faith does, right? You believe in Jesus by believing what he says about us, okay? It's not just about believing in Jesus. You've got to do that for salvation, but you also have to believe Jesus. You see the difference? There's a difference between believing in Jesus and actually believing Jesus. The things that he says are true, that we are actually the light of the world, See, light is meant to be seen, and not just to be seen for our own glory, but light is meant to show the way, to be a beacon of hope. The light of the world is not a church program. It's not a denomination. It's not a music style or a pastoral style. The people who are Christians are the light of the world. See, the church is people. Let me share another statistic with you. Studies suggest that around 20% of Americans attend church weekly, And uh, polls say that about 40% uh, of people attend church weekly, actually, but people lie to pollsters. And I think these numbers are down. So studies really show about 20%. Through COVID, that's really a lot less. Um, It might be more if you consider how many people are watching online and still not going to church. Um, And there's a whole debate about that, about whether that's church or not, right? But here's something that I want to share with you. And I got this from a mentor of mine. His name is Tom, Tom Mercer. And he says this, that number 20% of people who attend church weekly is wrong. He said nearly 100% of people in our country attend church weekly. And from the perspective where he's coming from, it's this, the church is not an address. It's not a location where you show up. It's people. And nearly 100% of Americans interact with a Christian every week. Did you know that? 
nearly 100% of Christians interact or of Americans interact with a Christian every week. The thing we need to keep in mind is that most people don't see our stage presence at the church building. They don't hear our music or our sermons or come to our events. The actual stage of Christianity that people are watching is our everyday lives. Now, this is something that's not new. This is what Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. And I, it scares people when I tell them. I tell them this at church. You know, your, the people in your relational world, they're at church whenever you're with them. So if you go to a Padre game or a Dodger game with these people, uh, they're at church. And, uh, you know, I'm a big-time Dodger fan, so I, I do have a very high opinion of Chavez Ravine and what it means to be in that ballpark. And uh, here in San Diego, uh, being at Petco Park is a wonderful thing. And uh, But church is because you're there as a believer. Maybe sometime later this week I'm going to explain how you can be a Dodger fan and a Padre fan. Don't call in about that right now. Maybe we'll deal with that tomorrow. It is possible. Reconciliation in these matters, it, it is possible. Here's what Jesus is talking about here in verse 15, where he says, neither do, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. The word house is the word oikos, all right? It's not a yogurt. Uh, they didn't have that back then. Uh, you might pronounce it in modern Greek, it would be ekos, and it's the root word for ecosphere or economy. Academically, you typically say oikos, so that's what I'm going to say. There's books written about how to pronounce that word in ancient time, and nobody has heard it because there are no recordings of it. Uh, it's hilarious, the things that we will argue about. In the Greek world, they understood what an oikos was, a household was. When studying the Bible, to understand a passage, you need to understand how people in that time would have understood it. In these ancient times, where there are great discussions about the organization of a society, Aristotle was best known for his oikos concept, that society was built on it. An oikos, the household, was crucial. It was not just a mother, father, and kids. It included co-workers and classmates and anybody who basically did life together. In that society, it, most of those people lived under the same roof or in very close proximity to each other. The oikos is the functioning household. It was crucial for healthcare, education, overall economy, and more. And the more strong that the oikos was, the better society was. And this is because societies built strong on this. Now, don't, don't change away. I'm going to get away from this in a second. A bunch of oikoi together, okay, makes up a polis. That's a governing structure, a city, police, courts, water supply, armies, things that the government has to do. That's a bunch of oikos together falling uh, that form a polis or how the government flows. And there were arguments back then about big government and small government. Same thing we have today is how much should the government be doing and how much should the people be doing? What are the responsibilities of the people toward each other with health care? What are the responsibilities of the government? When you get into the mask mandates and the vaccine mandates that we are having today, it's the exact same argument that was going on with different issues back in Jesus's time. What are the things that the people should be doing and being responsible for? And what are the things that the government should be responsible for? And the argument was that the more the government did that they shouldn't be doing, the society would collapse, actually. And the more that the people who are supposed to be loving each other didn't love each other, the society would also collapse because then the government has to do it and uh, it becomes a mess. And it was a super important thing. You know, how do you what do you do with uh, old folks back in the day? Your oikos would have to take care of them. Right. You don't let the government do it. But if if people didn't take care of one another, then the government has to do it. Uh, how do you raise and discipline kids? Uh, do you want the family to do it, the household, or do you want the government to do it? I promise you the government is doing a lousy job at raising your kids. Have you noticed? How do you care for the sick? There were no hospitals. Oikos had to do it. Historically, a nation collapses when people don't love their neighbor. That is just from a secular standpoint when people do not invest in one another. 
Isn't that a big deal? Now, that's how they hear the word oikos. Now, look at this, Matthew five thirteen through 16. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. That word their house is oikos. It gives light to everyone in the oikos. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See, when Jesus says oikos here, those people in that day heard Aristotle's oikos. They understood the Greco-Roman use of that word, and it means your relational world. It gives light to everyone in the relational world, family, friends, co-workers. What is the mission you have? It's to make disciples, to be salt and light, to be clearly seen as a benefit to those people you know and point them to Jesus so he is glorified. It's not so that they might think you're great. No, so that they may glorify your Father in heaven. See, it's all kingdom of God driven. Everything comes back to this, and this is the mission for everyday life. This is the mission away from church gatherings. It's everyday life mission. Let me share this with you. You have an oikos today. Who are the people who are to see the light? If you want to know what to do, how do you step out and actually help in this world of chaos today? The very first thing you have to do is take a look at the people that God has purposefully and providentially placed in your relational world, your coworkers, your classmates, your family, your next door neighbors, the people you interact with on a regular basis. When we come back from the break, I'm going to help you figure out how to take some steps away from the chaos that's going on today and have a worldview that will actually help you be missional and make an impact on the world today. You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Pastor Scott Furrow. You can give a call to the program and be a part of it at 888-52-TALKS at 888-528-2557. And I will be right back. Stay tuned. All right, everybody, this is Southern California Live. I'm Pastor Scott Furrow. It's great to be with you. You can call the program at 888-52-TALKS or 888-528-2557. And uh, you can reach out to me anytime you want to at radiochurch.org. And I'm on Facebook right now, Facebook Live. If you go to facebook.com slash Scott Furrow, if you are R-O-W, you can say hi right on there also. So we've been talking about how to take a look at all the stuff going on in the world and what do we do about it as the church? It's a complex, it seems like a complex answer, but really it isn't. It's always been the same. And Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount what to do. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And before the break, we were talking about your oikos. Let me tell you what that word is. It means household, but your oikos is the people in your relational world. Most people have about eight to 15 people. So it isn't your 5,000 Facebook friends like Tom called in and talked about. It isn't the, the people who are anonymous on your Twitter feed, the people who you don't really interact with. Here's something that you need to understand is true. Almost 100% of people who have become Christians in the last 2,000 years have become Christians because of a relationship they were in with somebody in their oikos, their relational world. They were told about Jesus from a parent, a grandparent, a sibling, a friend, a coworker, a classmate, almost everybody. In fact, if I were to ask you right now to raise your hand 
In fact, just do it. Raise your hand if the reason you're a believer today, if you're a believer, is because you heard about it from somebody who was in your life. Raise your hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. You better put it back on the wheel now and keep driving, though. It's almost everybody. I did this in a church one time, and every single person in the room put their hand up. See, this is how Jesus actually is growing his church. Studies vary a bit, but most people have between 8 to 15 people in their oikos. Family, roommates, classmates, cellmates for some of you. Starbucks baristas for me. Uh, Wikipedia, if you trust that, says that uh, your oikos is people that you have a social interaction with for at least one hour a week. Here's what you do right now. List those people. Write them down. When you get home, if you're driving, write down the people that are closest to you. These are not, this is not your prayer list. Your prayer list should be much larger, okay? You want to pray for these people, but who are the people that you actually interact with on a regular basis? And uh, maybe you don't like any of those people, or maybe they don't like you. You might call it your anoikos. That's what happens sometimes with some of us. But take the log out of your eye and see them as people who need Jesus. And maybe they don't like you, but what does Jesus say to do for your enemies? Pray for them. Pray for those who persecute you. Make a list of those people. Some of them might already be believers. Great. Learn from them or teach them. But make sure you've got some non-believers. You know, one of the reasons that the church is not as successful in the United States is because so many Christians don't know anybody anymore who aren't believers. Sometimes there's so much pressure that we have to talk about, talk to our friends about Jesus that we just don't, we're not very intentional. Make a list of those people and then do this. Talk to Jesus about your friends. Start that first and do that every day. Read that group of people. Ask God to help you be salt and light to your oikos. Be serious about this. And ask God to let your light shine and not to hide it. It's a great prayer life right there. It'll change your life. And give those people your time, invest in them, and uh, take them out to coffee. You pay for it and keep growing in your faith. See, the reason that this matters is this. Christians right now in our country are struggling. We are struggling because we do get too much into politics, and we feel like if we just get the right people elected, then people will believe what we think. Then the country will change. But that isn't showing to be true, that even when certain groups of people are elected, it lasts for a little while. The world changes. The entire world changes when Christians love the people that God has placed in their life. It changes hearts. It's very relational. It shows people Jesus Christ. We have a world right now that's suffering. What can I do? Begin with those people. Pray for those people and realize then that what I post online or what I talk about at work or the way I express myself about mask mandates or uh, vaccines or Afghanistan or President Biden or President Trump or President insert name here, that it matters because, first of all, you are an ambassador of Christ that we need to be truthful in all the things that we do. Some of the stuff that's, that gets put around is just not true, and it hinders our, our relationship. And you know what's interesting about your social media is that most people are ignoring what you post, but your oikos isn't. They're paying attention to how you do this. It's an incredible, incredible thing. Would you do that? Would you just take this as a moment? Who are the people that you interact with, the people that you work with? Write them down. Write their names down. And tonight, when we're done with this program, before you go to bed, pray for them. Write them down and pray for them in the morning. God, let me be used in their life. I pray that they come to know Jesus. I pray that you will use me in a certain way. You know what happens is then God starts working on you too. It's like, well, I do want to use you in their life, but here's some things you got to work on. See, and it'll lead you to confession. It'll lead you to repentance. It'll lead you to grow in your faith, your biblical knowledge. And we started out this hour by talking about worldview. Have you wondered why 
we have this worldview, this strange thing going on. And I'm going to talk about this more tomorrow, where you have our leaders who are asking the Taliban to respect women, to be inclusive for people in sexual orientations and this and that, you know, and they're kind of saying, or else. Why do they say that? It makes no sense, actually, does it? They're saying that because their worldview is off. They're saying that because behind all of the stuff that we're watching, behind all the conflict in the Middle East, is something spiritual and something that is very true, something that the world needs to understand is true and something that offends a lot of people. And it's the the name of Jesus Christ, only under his name will people be saved. And if that is ontologically true, which I believe it is, and you start to see the world through that lens, and then you start to see your job as a disciple maker, as an ambassador of Christ through that lens, you'll begin to change the world. You will begin with your own relational world. You'll begin to see the world differently. I mean, it it matters greatly. It's incredibly a powerful thing. So do that. And this begins to help you be the church. You can do this in any church that you're a part of. And I encourage you to actually be a part of a church, to actually go, actually find a place where you can interact. If you've been watching online, I understand that that is fantastic at sometimes, especially if you've got little kids at home, right? You can you can watch church in your pajamas and eat waffles. I mean, that's really great for, for some of the time. But you need the relationship, and your kids need to have a healthy relationship with other believers at church, worshiping God and praising him and being a part of the ministry that you have there. This matters greatly. And when this happens, the church changes. The church is growing, by the way, faster in other countries in the world precisely because of the places of the world where there is persecution, where there is a hard time. There's no time to get caught up in some of the silly issues that we get involved with at church. Did you know Afghanistan, as you pray for them, before all this was going on, Afghanistan, according to Open Doors USA, was had the second highest number of Christian persecutions in the world, second only to North Korea. And yet the church is flourishing there, or it was. It's going to be under persecution now, and it's or worse persecution now. It's going to be pretty serious. And uh, it is such a important thing to realize that the power of God and the mission of the church is not hindered by any laws. As citizens of our country, we have to really pay attention, I believe, to the laws that are being passed, to the mandates that are here. It's a real argument we have as citizens that we need to have. But keep this in mind. The kingdom of God is not going to be hindered. The kingdom of God is not going to be stopped because of some law by some regime. Certainly, uh, this has not happened over 2,000 years of different regimes trying to make that happen. And so have hope with that. Have a great understanding that Jesus Christ is building his church. He is going to build it, and he has a strategy. His plan is to make the good news known, to seek and save the lost. That's the strategy, and it's the church, and the church is us. And the gates of hell will not prevail. And it's working. Let me leave you with this statistic, all right? At the time of Pentecost, at the time that the church started, studies say that there were around maybe 200 million people in the world, okay? 200 million people on earth 2,000 years ago. The church started with 120 people. That was one Christian for every 1,666,667 people. Do you know what that number is today? It's one in 10. One in 10 people today are believers. And I'm talking about seven to 800 million people who are 
evangelical or practicing people. It's not even counting people who maybe were born in a country where they check the box that they're a Christian. It's one in 10. If you're thinking that it's not doable for the church to impact the world, Jesus is building his church. Not you, not me, not your pastor, not your church. Jesus is building his church, and he's moved it from one in 1.6 million people to one in 10. With all the problems that the church has, all, all the legitimate problems and all the crazy stuff that the church has done, Jesus is doing it. That's an incredible thing, and it's right in the middle of the number of people in your oikos, 10 you got 8 to 15 people in your oikos. You can do this. And Jesus is sending you to love the people that God has placed in your life to be prepared to give a reason for the answer or for the hope that you have. My friends, I hope that this has been helpful for you today. I look forward to being with you tomorrow again right here on Southern California Live. I'm Pastor Scott Furrow, and you can reach out to me at radiochurch.org. You can also find me on social media. I'm at Scott Furrow on Twitter and uh, facebook.com slash Scott Furrow. You can get in touch with me there. I'd love to hear from you. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.